from the Cyber Hub Bunker and Studio. You're tuning in to the Cyber Hub Podcast. And now for your host and CISO, James Azar. Good, good morning, security gang, and welcome to another episode of the Cyber Hub Podcast. I hope everyone is having a great start to this week as we wrap up the month of July. But more importantly, we are dealing with an onslaught of really uh, uh, shifting in, in adversarial activities. We're seeing it kind of really play out over the long term. We're also seeing the deficiencies, the inherent deficiencies in the products that we trust, in the softwares that we trust and use in in our daily go-together. And that's really the highlight of today's show, as well as how geopolitics is now really intertwined in everything we do in cyber and why that's going to be really, really critical going forward to the second part of this year and then into next year uh, as, as we go along here. So, for everyone tuning in, we're live on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, and Rumble. Good morning to all of y'all, and thank you for being part of the show. This show is live at 9 a.m. Eastern. Please make sure to go check it out and subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform or follow us on your favorite social media, including the new X. Twitter has now become X. You can follow the CyberHub podcast there, where the show is live on the platform. So without further ado, join me this morning in celebrating life with a highly caffeinated, very delicious double espresso. Whatever you're drinking, put it in the comments. Coffee cup. Cheers, y'all. Cup of coffee powers you through. We'll start with um, one of my favorites, Apple fixing another zero day used in attacks against iPhone and iMacs. Apple has released a security update to address the zero day vulnerabilities exploited in attacks targeting iPhones, Macs, and iPads. Apple is aware of a report that this issue may have been actively being exploited, the company said in an advisory, describing a WebKit flaw track, the CVE 2023-37450, that was addressed in a new round of rapid security response updates earlier this month. The other zero-day patch today is a new kernel flaw, track the CVE 2023-38606, that was exploited in attacks targeting devices running older iOS versions. Apple is aware of the report of this issue and has now released iOS 15.7.1, the company said. So you want to make sure you get those devices rapidly uh, patched. So that's a lot of zero days for Apple, y'all. A lot of zero days. And, and, and I started the show talking about the fact that as practitioners, we inherently trusted. And Apple kind of had this mystique of security and trust around it for so long. And over the last few years, that mystique's really come down. The idea that you can just blindly trust an Apple device, that it's blindly working that it's blindly secure no longer applies and and we see that here with this specific uh, additional zero day they've had a bunch of these a bunch of these over the last few years probably close to a dozen at this point so make sure you get your apple devices patched asap amd has started releasing microcode patches to address the zen 2 processor vulnerability that could allow attacker to access sensitive information the flaw has been dubbed Zenbleed, and it's officially tracked as CVE 2023-2059-3 was discovered by Google researchers as part of a new CPU research project and reported to AMD on May 15th. Google Information Security Travis, uh, Tavis Ormandy, who led the research, announced the findings and the availability, technical details, and proof-of-concept exploit on Monday. The issue was discovered through fuzzing. It took a bit of work, but they found a variant that can leak about 30 Kilobytes per core per second, Ormandy uh, explained. This is fast enough to monitor encryption keys and passwords as users log in. 
No special calls or privileges are required for the exploitation. The vulnerability can be exploited by a piece of malware deployed on the targeted device. Exploitation may even be possible through JavaScript code planted on a website, according to Cloudflare, which says it already patched its impacted servers. AMD published its own advisory for CVE 2023-2059-3. Under specific microarchitectural circumstances, a register in Zen 2 CPU may not be written to zero correctly. This may cause data from another process and or threat to be stored in the YMM register which may allow an attacker to potentially access sensitive information. This impacts the Zen 2 processors, including Ryzen 3000 Pro and a Threadripper 4000 Pro, 5000 Pro, 7020, and Epic uh, Rome are all impacted by this. So you want to make sure you get those patches as they become available patched up. And another thing for a lot of practitioners here uh, this morning, this is why you don't use your device name in the name of the device you're using overall. The reason you don't do that is because if I'm an attacker and I'm scanning and I see the device name and I know this device uses the Zen 2 processor, at that very point, I know I can take advantage of it. I know there's an exploit, there's a vulnerability, and there's something I can potentially uh, take advantage of. So that's a really good best practice. And then most companies do very well about it, but, but some still struggle with it. Ivante patches a mobile iron zero-day bug that's being exploited in attacks. Um, U.S.-based IT software company Ivante has patched an actively exploited zero-day authentication bypass vulnerability that's impacting its endpoint manager mobile, the EPMM mobile device management software, formerly known as Mobile Iron Core. Ivante released security patches for the remote unauthenticated API access vulnerability tracked as CVE 2023-35078 on Sunday. The patches can be installed by upgrading to EPMM 11.8.1.1, 11.9.1.1, 1, and 11.10.0.2. They also targeted unsupported and end-of-life software versions lower than 11.8.1.0. While Avanti has published a security advisory to provide details on the vulnerability, the information is being blocked by a login, given that the article can only be accessed with an account linked to customer information. Um, an authentication bypass vulnerability in Avanti allows an unauthenticated user to access restricted functionality or resources of the application without proper authentication. The vulnerability impacts all versions, uh, impacts all supported versions, sorry, 11.10, 11.9, or 11.8. So it's already being exploited in the wild. In fact, the Norway says the Avanti Zero Day was used to hack their government IT systems. The Norwegian National Security Authority has confirmed that attackers used a Zero Day vulnerability in Avanti's endpoint manager mobile solution to breach a software platform used by 12 ministries in the country. The Norwegian Security and Service Organization said on Monday that the cyber attack did not affect Norway's Prime Minister's Office, the Ministry of Defense, the Ministry of Justice, and Ministry of Foreign Affairs. The Norwegian Data Protection Authority was also notified about the incident, indicating that the attackers may have gained access to and or exfiltrated sensitive data from compromised systems, leading to a breach. The vulnerability was unique and when discovered for the very first time here in Norway. If I had released the information about the vulnerability too early, it could have contributed to it being misused elsewhere in Norway and the rest of the world. The Norwegian Cybersecurity Center also notified all known Mobile Iron Core customers in Norway about the existence of a security update to address this actively exploited zero-day bug. So there's that as well very quickly. Uh, according to Shodan's uh, internet exposure scanning platform, more than uh, 2,900 Mobile Iron por portals are presently exposed online, out of which only 3,000 are linked to the U.S. and state and local government. The rest are across Germany, the UK, and Hong Kong. So you have that. 
to contend with. The Lazarus Group is exploiting a Windows IIS uh, to distribute malware. So the North Korean cybercrime group Lazarus has been found attacking Windows Internet Information Service web servers, using them as distribution points for their malware, according to the OnLab Security Emergency Response Center. Windows IIS is Microsoft's web server solution that's used to host websites or application services. The state-sponsored group uses the watering hole technique for initial access. The group first hacks Korean sites and modifies the content provided from the site when a system using a vulnerable version of the INI Safe Crossweb EXv6 visits this website via web browser. The uh, malware is installed from the distribution site through that vulnerability. While the vulnerability has already been patched, unpatched systems continue to be under active attack. If a system has a vulnerable version installed on it, it must be uninstalled and updated to the latest version. The cybersecurity firm had earlier reported on attacks against Windows web servers in May. At the time, the attacker used poorly managed or vulnerable web servers as the initial access point. Researchers at ISCC also observed cases of RDP protocol being used for lateral movement after the internal reconnaissance process. So we see that they're using the juicy potato malware. Uh, that's, a, that's a fun name for malware particularly the potato strains of malware for privilege escalations are mainly used in attacks against the IIS web servers and Microsoft SQL database servers. Potato types escalate privilege by abusing some process with certain privileges activated after the threat actor is able to perform malicious behaviors using the elevated privileges. So you've got that there as well, y'all. And that's another one from the North Koreans, but that's not it. The jump cloud hack is now being linked to North Korea after an OPSEC mistake. A hacking unit of North Korea's Reconnaissance General Bureau was linked to the jump cloud breach after the attackers made an operational security mistake in inadvertently exposing their real-world IP addresses. The group tracked as UNC 489 or 9 or by many. It was previously observed using a combination of commercial VPNs and operational relay boxes using L2TP IPsec tunnels to hide their actual location. Many, it says UNC 489 or 9 or threat actors have used many VPN providers for this purpose in previous campaigns including some, some really commercial ones like ExpressVPN, Nord, uh, VPN, and TorGuard. While North Korea's state hackers are known for using commercial VPN services to mask their IP addresses and actual locations, during the jump cloud attack, the VPN they were using failed and exposed their location in Pyongyang while connecting to a victim's network. Manian observed the DPRK threat actor connecting directly to an attacker-controlled ORB from their 1.745.178.0-24 subnet Additionally, they observed the DPR, DPRK threat actor logged directly into a Pyongyang IP from one of their jump boxes. Our evidence supports that this was an OPSEC slip-up since the connection to the North Koreans net block was short-lived. Apart from this OPSEC oversight mania, security researchers also found attack infrastructure overlapping with previous associated hacks linked to North Korean hackers, further bolstering the attribution of the breach to North Korea. So North Korea back on the front here. Uh, targeting a whole bunch of organizations. And now Jump Cloud is the latest victim of this scenario. And our final story for this morning's show is that China propaganda spreads via U.S. news sites, freelancers, and Times Square. There's a widespread disinformation campaign that's being aimed at Americans. It wasn't that effective, but it certainly was creative, even slipping in influence articles to legitimate news outlets like AZ Central. Uh, legitimate news outlets is a very loosely term uh, today, depending on what side you really are. In some cases, the organizers of the pro people's Republic of China influence campaign called high energy 
are taking the art of disinformation to new heights, appropriating U.S. news outlets, paying influencers, and more to promote their agenda. Google Mandians first detailed the campaign about a year ago. We covered it on the show. At the time, it, it had puppeted multiple social media assets and at least 72 news websites to push content strategy aligned with political interests of the CCP. In months since, the campaign has expanded even beyond cyberspace, financing two physical protests in D.C. and even throwing a Times Square billboard into the mix. Mandiant researchers have now named at least two organizations behind the campaign. First, there's Shanghai Haijian Technology, a PR firm whose thin and error-laden website suggests it's not quite what it seems. Additionally, there's Financial uh, Content Inc., which specializes in sneaking news stories onto websites of legitimate publishers. Despite the large coordinated effort to push a specific clear agenda, high energy has proven remarkably ham-handed and ineffective. The best way to describe it is, is it's creative, according to Mandiant. Not sophisticated, but very creative. In, the early, in its early age stages, high energy consisted of largely conventional methods for disseminating propaganda on the web. The perpetrators wielded an arsenal of 72 news websites published worldwide in 11 languages claiming to be independent. The websites pushed stories criticizing policies of the U.S. and its allies, supporting the erosion of Hong Kong's electoral system and tarnishing outspoken opponents of the Chinese Communist Party. These stories were then amplified by a small number of inauthentic and paid social media accounts. Since then, the campaign has grown much larger and stranger than that. For example, researchers discovered that Shanghai hangs on hired freelancers on Fiverr to promote content. They've also seen other cases where protests were amplified by two appropriately vague named Hayek's-on-operated Newswire outlets, Times Newswire and World Newswire, and spread by inauthentic social media profiles. And this is significant for, for a multitude of reasons here, again, and I'll tell you why. One. The, the more disinformation like this and these campaigns establish, they create a, a kind of a shaking of the ground for our staff. Our staff then becomes likely to be, be, uh, be able to be easily manipulated by this kind of stuff. And then additionally, it could be an, an effective malware delivery system onto a device endpoint. So there, there's a lot to go with this. China continues to be on the prowl. The number one threat to us today is China. Um, anyone who says otherwise is, is not seeing the world for what it is today, which is the, the, the Chinese Communist Party is the greatest threat to our mental health, our national security, and our cybersecurity. And, and they know what they're doing. They're coming after us in every single possible method they can, including sp spreading disinformation, including spreading misinformation, um, including uh, creating greater gaps between people. And we see that everywhere. So keep, keep your hearts open, your minds open, um, and, and just remember always that at the end of the day, we're all one, and these people are trying to separate it and make it one versus two, and they're going to have a hard time getting me to do it, and, and, and I hope many of you that tune into the show. That's it for our show today. We'll be back tomorrow with a whole lot more. Until then, have a great, great rest of your day, and most importantly, y'all, stay cyber safe. We love feedback, so make sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform.